Section 4 of Soldier's Pay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Soldier's Pay by William Faulkner. Chapter 1, Parts 4 and 5. 4. In the next room, Cadet Lowe waked from a chaotic dream opening his eyes and staring with detachment, impersonal as God, at lights burning about him. After a time he recalled his body, remembering where he was, and by an effort he turned his head. In the other bed the man slept beneath his terrible face. I am Julian Lowe. I eat, I digest, evacuate, I have flown. This man, this man here, sleeping beneath his scar, where do we touch? Oh, God, oh, God, knowing his own body, his stomach. Raising his hand, he felt his own undamaged brow, no scar there. Near him, upon a chair, was his hat severed by a white band. Upon the table, the other man's cap, with its cloth crown sloping backward from a bronzed, initialed crust. He tasted his sour mouth, knowing his troubled stomach. To have been him, he moaned. Just to be him, let him take this sound body of mine, let him take it, to have got wings on my breast, to have wings, and to have got his scar too, I would take death to-morrow. Upon a chair Mahone's tunic evinced above the left breast pocket, wings breaking from an initialed circle beneath a crown, tipping downward in an arrested embroidered sweep, a symbolized desire to be him. To have gotten wings, but to have got his scar, too. Cadet Lowe turned to the wall with passionate disappointment, like a gnawing fox at his vitals. Slobbering and moaning, Cadet Lowe, too, dreamed again, sleeping. 5. Achilles, what preparation would you make for a cross-country flight, Cadet? Mercury, empty your bladder and fill your petrotank, sir. Achilles. Carry on, cadet. An old play about nineteen hundred and something. Cadet Lowe, waking, remarked morning and Gilligan entering the room dressed. Gilligan, looking at him, said, How you coming, Ace? Mahone yet slept beneath his scar upon a chair, his tunic. Above the left pocket, wings swept silkenly, breaking downward above a ribbon. Purple, white, purple. Oh, God. Low groaned. Gilligan, with the assurance of physical well-being, stood in brisk, arrested motion. As you were, fellow, I'm going out and have some breakfast sent up. You stay here until loot wakes, huh? Cadet Low, tasting his sour mouth, groaned again. Gilligan regarded him. Oh, you'll stay all right, won't you? I'll be back soon. The door closed after him, and Lowe, thinking of water, rose and took his wavering way across the room to a water pitcher. Carafe, like giraffe, or like café, he wondered. The water was good, but lowering the vessel he felt immediately sick. After a while he recaptured the bed. He dozed, forgetting his stomach, and remembering it, he dreamed and waked. He could feel his head like a dull inflation. Then he could distinguish the foot of his bed, and thinking again of water, he turned on a pillow and saw another identical bed and the suave indication of a dressing-gown motionless beside it. 
leaning over Mahone's scarred supineness, she said, Don't get up. Lowe said, I won't, closing his eyes, tasting his mouth, seeing her long, slim body against his red eyelids, opening his eyes to light and her thigh shaped and falling away into an impersonal fabric. With an effort, he might have seen her ankles. Her feet will be there, he thought, unable to accomplish the effort, and behind his closed eyes he thought of saying something which would leave his mouth on hers. Oh, God, he thought, feeling that no one had been so sick, imagining that she would say, I love you, too, if I had wings and a scar. To hell with officers, he thought, sleeping again. To hell with Kiwis, anyway. I wouldn't be a goddamn Kiwi. Rather be a sergeant. Rather be a mechanic. Crack up, cadet. Hell, yes, why not? War's over. Glad, glad. Oh, God. His scar. His wings. Last time. He was briefly in a jenny again, conscious of lubricating oil and a slow, gracious restraint of braced, plain surfaces, feeling an air blast and feeling the stick in his hand, watching bobbing rocker arms on the horizon, laying her nose on the horizon like a sighted rifle. Christ, what do I care? Seeing her nose rise until the horizon was hidden, seeing the arc of a descending wing expose it again, seeing her become abruptly stationary while a mad world spinning vortexed about his seat. Sure, what do you care? asked a voice, and waking, he saw Gilligan beside him with a glass of whiskey. Drink it down, General, said Gilligan, holding the glass under his nose. Oh, God, move it, move it. Come on now, drink her down, you'll feel better. The loot is up and at him, and Mrs. Powers, what you get so drunk for, Ace? Oh, God, I don't know, answered Cadet Lowe, rolling his head in anguish. Let me alone, Gilligan said. Come on, drinker now. Cadet Lowe said, go away, passionately. Let me alone. I'll be all right. Sure you will, as soon as you drink this. I can't. Go away. You got to. You want I should break your neck? asked Gilligan kindly, bringing his face up, kind and ruthless. Low eluded him, and Gilligan, reaching under his body, raised him. Let me lie down, Low implored, and stay here forever? We gotta go somewheres. We can't stay here. But I can't drink, Cadet Low's interior coiled passionately, an ecstasy. For God's sake, let me alone. Ace, said Gilligan, holding his head up. You got to. You might just as well drink this yourself. If you don't, I'll put it down your throat, glass and all. Here now. The glass was between his lips, so he drank, gulping, expecting to gag, but gulping, the stuff became immediately pleasant. It was like new life in him. He felt a kind sweat, and Gilligan removed the empty glass. Mahon, dressed except for his belt, sat beside a table. Gilligan vanished through a door, and he rose, feeling shaky but quite fit. He took another drink. Water thundered in the bathroom, and Gilligan, returning, said briskly, Atta boy. He pushed low into the bathroom. In you go, Ace, he added, feeling the sweet, bright needles of water burning his shoulders, watching his body slipping an endless silver sheath of water, smelling soap. Beyond that was her room, where she was, tall and red and black and white and beautiful. I'll tell her at once, he decided sawing his hard young body with a rough towel. Glowing, he brushed his teeth and hair. 
Then he had another drink under Mahone's quiet, inverted stare and Gilligan's quizzical one. He dressed, hearing her moving in her room. Maybe she's thinking of me, he told himself, swiftly donning his khaki. He caught the officer's kind, puzzled gaze, and the man said, How are you? Never felt better after my solo, he answered, wanting to sing. Say, I left my hat in her room last night, he told Gilligan. Guess I better get it. Here's your hat, Gilligan informed him unkindly, producing it. Well, then, I want to talk to her. What you going to say about that? asked Cadet Lowe, swept and garnished and belligerent. Why, sure, General, Gilligan agreed readily. She can't refuse one of the saviors of her country. He knocked on her door. Mrs. Powers? Yes? Her voice was muffled. General Pershing here wants to talk to you. Sure. All right. He turned about, opening the door. In you go, Ace. Lowe, hating him, ignored his wink, entering. She sat in bed with the breakfast tray upon her knees. She was not dressed, and Lowe looked delicately away. But she said blandly, Cheerio, cadet. How looks the air today? She indicated a chair, and he drew it up to the bed, being so careful not to seem to stare that his carriage became noticeable. She looked at him quickly and kindly, and offered him coffee. Courageous, with whiskey on an empty stomach, he knew hunger suddenly. He took the cup. Good morning, he said, with belated courtesy, trying to be more than nineteen. Why is nineteen ashamed of its age? She treats me like a child, he thought, fretted and gaining courage, watching with increasing boldness her indicated shoulders and wondering with interest if she had stockings on. Why didn't I say something as I came in, something easy and intimate? Listen, when I first saw you, my love for you was like... My love was like... My love for you... God, if I only hadn't drunk so much last night, I could say it. My love for you... My love... My... Is like... Is like and found himself watching her arms as she moved and her loose sleeves fell away from them, saying, Yes, he was glad the war was over, and telling her that he had forty-seven hours flying time and would have got wings in two weeks more, and that his mother in San Francisco was expecting him. She treats me like a child, he thought, with exasperation, seeing the slope of her shoulders and the place where her breast was. How black your hair is, he said, and she said, Lo, when are you going home? I don't know. Why should I go home? I think I'll have to look at the country first. But your mother, she glanced at him. Oh, well, he said largely. You know what women are, always worrying you. Lo, how do you know so much about things? Women, you aren't married, are you? Me married, repeated Lo with ungrammatical zest. Me married? Not so as you'd know it. I have lots of girls, but married, he brayed with brief, unnecessary vigour. What made you think so, he asked with interest. Oh, I don't know. You look so, so mature, you see. Ah, that's flying, does that. Look at him in there. Is that it? I had noticed something about you. You would have been an ace, too, if you'd seen any Germans, wouldn't you? He glanced at her quickly, like a struck dog. Here was his old dull despair again. I'm so sorry, she said with quick sincerity. I didn't think. Of course you would. Anyway, it wasn't your fault. You did your best, I know. Oh, for Christ's sake, he said, hurt. What do you women want, anyway? I'm as good a flyer as any ever was at the front, flying or any other way. He sat morose under her eyes. He rose suddenly. Say, what's your name, anyway? Margaret, she told him. 
He approached the bed where she sat, and she said, More coffee? Stopping him dead. You've forgotten your cup. There it is on the table. Before he thought, he had returned and fetched his cup, received coffee he did not want. He felt like a fool, and being young, he resented it. All right for you, he promised her, and sat again in a dull rage. To hell with them all. I've offended you, haven't I? she asked. But, lo, I feel so bad, and you were about to make love to me. Why do you think that? he asked, hurt and dull. Oh, I don't know. But women can tell, and I don't want to be made love to. Gilligan has already done that. Gilligan? Well, I'll kill him if he's annoyed you. No, no, he didn't offend me any more than you did. It was flattering. But why were you going to make love to me? You thought of it before you came in, didn't you? Lowe told her youngly. I thought of it on the train when I first saw you. When I saw you, I knew you were the woman for me. Tell me, you don't like him better than me because he has wings and a scar, do you? Why, of course not. She looked at him a moment, calculating. Then she said, Mr. Gilligan says he's dying. Dying? he repeated. And dying? How the man managed to circumvent him at every turn, as if it were not enough to have wings and a scar. But to die? Margaret, he said, with such despair that she gazed at him in swift pity. He was so young. Margaret, are you in love with him? knowing that if he were a woman, he would be. No, certainly not. I'm not in love with anybody. My husband was killed on the end, you see, she told him gently. Oh, Margaret, he said with bitter sincerity, I would have been killed there if I could, or wounded like him, don't you know it? Of course, darling, she put the tray aside. Come here. Cadet Low rose again and went to her. I would have been if I'd had a chance, he repeated. She drew him down beside her, and he knew he was acting the child she supposed him to be, but he couldn't help it. His disappointment and despair were more than everything now. Here were her knees, sweetly under his face, and he put his arms round her legs. I wanted to be, he confessed more than he had ever believed. I would take his scar and all, and be dead like he's going to be. But what was death to Cadet Lowe except something true and grand and sad? He saw a tomb open and himself in boots and belt and pilot wings on his breast, a wound stripe. What more could one ask of fate? Yes, yes, he answered. Why, you've flown too, she told him, holding his face against her knees. You might have been him, but you were lucky. Perhaps you would have flown too well to have been shot down as he was. Had you thought of that? I don't know. I guess I would let them catch me if I could have been him. You're in love with him. I swear I am not, she raised his head to see his face. I would tell you if I were. Don't you believe me? Her eyes were compelling. He believed her. Then if you aren't, can you promise to wait for me? I'll be older soon, and I'll work like hell and make money. What will your mother say? Hell, I don't have to mind her like a kid forever. I'm nineteen, old as you are. If she don't like it, she can go to hell. Low, she reproved him, not telling him she was twenty-four. The idea. You go home and tell your mother. I'll give you a note to her, and you can write what she says. But I'd rather go with you. But, dear heart, what good will that do? We're going to take him home, and he's sick. 
Don't you see, darling, we can't do anything until we get him settled, and that you would only be in the way. In the way? he repeated with sharp pain. You know what I mean. We can't have anything to think about until we get him home, don't you see? But you aren't in love with him? I swear I'm not. Does that satisfy you? Then are you in love with me? She drew his face against her knees again. You sweet child, she said. Of course I won't tell you. Yet. And he had to be satisfied with this. They held each other in silence for a time. How good you smell, remarked Cadet Lowe at last. She moved. Come up here by me, she commanded. And when he was beside her, she took his face in her hands and kissed him. He put his arms around her and she drew his head between her breasts. After a while, she stroked his hair and spoke. Now. Are you going home at once? Must I? he asked, vacuously. You must, she answered. Today, wire her at once, and I will give you a note to her. Oh, hell, you know what she'll say. Of course I do. You haven't any sisters and brothers, have you? No, he said in surprise. She moved, and he sensed the fact that she desired to be released. He sat up. How did you know? he asked in surprise. I just guessed. But you will go, won't you? Promise. Well, I will then, but I will come back to you. Of course you will. I will expect you. Kiss me. She offered her face coolly, and he kissed her as she wished, coldly, remotely. She put her hands on his cheeks. Dear boy, she said, kissing him again as his mother kissed him. Say, that's no way for engaged people to kiss, he objected. How do engaged people kiss, she asked. He put his arms around her, feeling her shoulder blades, and drew her mouth against his with the technique he had learned. She suffered his kiss a moment, then thrust him away. Is that how engaged people kiss, she asked, laughing. I like this better. She took his face in her palms and touched his mouth briefly and coolly. Now swear you'll wire your mother at once. But will you write to me? Surely. But swear you will go today, in spite of what Gilligan may tell you. I swear, he answered, looking at her mouth. Can't I kiss you again? When we are married, she said, and he knew he was being dismissed. Thinking, knowing that she was watching him, he crossed the room with an air, not looking back. Here were yet Gilligan and the officer. Mahon said, Morning, old chap. Gilligan looked at Lowe's belligerent front from a quizzical reserve of sardonic amusement. Make a conquest, hey, Ace? Go to hell, replied Low. Where's that bottle? I'm going home today. Here she is, General. Drink deep. Going home, he repeated. So are we, eh, Loot? End of section four, read by Sandra.